Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I am your host, Kat Kinsman, and my guest today is the amazing Callie Spear of Holy Roller here in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Callie. Thank you so much. And just for context here, the sound is a little bit different than usual. We are actually in my hotel room in Austin, <laughs> um, out South by Southwest, and I was looking around for, you know, so many things are happening this week um, all over town, and I was thinking, where do I want to go? And I caught wind of Holy Roller and it spoke to my soul. Um, so you open in July of 2018? We, July of 2017. Oh, 2017, so wow. we're coming up on two years now. Oh my gosh. So which we, feels like either 30 years <laughs> or three months. We're not really sure. Oh my gosh. I walked in there yesterday and people had, had said, okay, when you walk in there, you're going to, that's just Cali on the walls. You're going to, you're going to feel it. There was a slightly different art situation because if you explain the exhibit that's up right now. Oh, we're doing a, an Amy Winehouse Foundation exhibit. So it's all of this photography that's put up um, of her like previous, you know, her life before she was famous, which is super, super cool and kind of fits with our theme. So we're happy to do it for South by, but it's an unusual um, yeah, an unusual installation <laughs> happening right now. But there's a reason that they picked you because there is this great rock and roll ethos to the whole place. So th is, this is your first restaurant opening it on it your is, own. It is. It is. Oh, had you? Uh, so you've worked in. Give us some of your background. You've worked in restaurants. I've worked in restaurants in Austin for as as long as I was old enough to work. Really, I. Um, started you know my dad was like get a job loser when I was 15 and so you know I did and I got a job in a kitchen and at some point just sort of lost my mind and fell in love with it and never really looked back and so I sort of worked my way um, up in kitchens here in town and um, the last place I was before the restaurant was a hotel here called the Hotel Van Zant, and then the opportunity arose to open the restaurant and I thought you know why the hell not yeah, so, I mean that you're you're saying it like it's just a little thing, uh, kind of. But there no, are it wasn't. It was <laughs> okay, like it was go. like crazy when it happened. Actually, okay. there are ten gazillion moving parts to any restaurant, and you. So you've been working in restaurants. You had done different positions. Um, can you talk about preparing to open one? What you learned through that? Oh my good! I mean, I learned everything. Like there was, I had worked as. I had kind of split my time between the savory side of the kitchen and then at, you know, right before the restaurant, I had spent the majority of my time as a pastry chef. And so, man, I thought I knew everything. Like there were people <laughs> who were like, no, it'll be great. Like, let's open this place. I'm like, yeah, you know, I've done, I somehow strangely have only done restaurant openings. So every place, wow. almost, almost every place I've worked has been an opening. So I just I like thought that. like... I had it in the bag, you know, it was going to be so easy. And as it turns out, it's just really not. And there's so many things that you don't, you don't know and you don't pay attention to when it's not, you know, when that's not put on your list of responsibilities that you just, like, I, there were just things that I never even knew that we needed to do, you know, and I, I had certainly never everything down to like ordering ramekins for the servers you know I'm like I don't what, what the hell you know <laughs> trying to set up like a POS system and going through you know right. it's like credit card processing fees what does that even mean like what's <laughs> you know just just silly things that I had never like so I you know and I still don't know everything I feel like I spend my day today trying to you know fake it till I make it so to speak but it uh you know it's it's coming along that journey from chef to chef owner um has got to be emotionally taxing, financially taxing, all of those things. And uh, what was the biggest surprise in this shift that you had? 
Oh, I th- you know, I sort of had these dreams that, you know, it's like I'm going to have my own place and I'm going to do the food that I want to do mm-hmm. in, a, you know, in an environment where I want to be around people yeah. I want to be, you know, and I think that we really, um, you know, from my vantage point, kind of crush that, you know, I, th- mm-hmm. I think that it is very reflective of myself, but the weird part is, is I don't do any of it. I don't like I had this like (laughs) I had this vision that I was going to get to be like in a kitchen and like coming up with all these amazing things and like spending all of this time like really like cultivating those things and cultivating the people that are in the kitchen and all that and it's just not the case you know I end up being um you know I joke that I'm like the Walmart greeter slash you know general (laughs) maintenance slash you know just all of the things like I do all the things that just need to get done that I didn't even really think about that somebody actually does those things you know and and it would be me um, so I think the biggest surprise was Britt, who was hired as our pastry chef. Talk who, about Britt. She, oh man, Britt is just incredible. And Britt is like certainly one of those people that you can like, it's like you push her out in the middle of traffic and she's just <laughs> like, it's like, okay, here you go. Like, do think fast. And she can. And she's like always so even keeled and so like just generally like creative and has one of these personalities that people really, really want to you know, those people that you just like, you're around and you're like, man, I want to do really well because I like you so much or because I want to like impress you or show off in front of you. Like she, I think, you know, everybody at work kind of feels that way about her. And she's got this really kind of awesome mama bear quality to her Mm -hmm. that makes everybody like Brit could say something like mean to your face. And she would (laughs) say it in a way that makes you think somehow it's like a compliment, you know, still want to be her friend. And she, um, you know, I hired her originally. She had worked with me at the Hotel Van Zant, and she um, was hired to be the pastry chef, which was already really, really hard for me because I You're am a pastry, pastry chef. chef. And so it was sort of like passing off, you know, this thing that I generally put so much love into and being like, here, you you take the baby and you hold the baby and care <laughs> for the baby. And so it was already weird feeling. And then sort of as um, time went on, she kind of almost evolved into the role that I thought I would have, mm-hmm. having never done that before in her life, having never opened a restaurant, having never, I mean, really has just surprised the pants off of me. Like she's just like, so has shot so far outside of like the realm of expectations. It's been like incredible to watch her really just thrive I mean, I met her for like 20 minutes yesterday and I was thinking, I just, I want to work with you. I, it was funny. We were standing outside near the dumpsters and, uh, she, our office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we, and, and she, she touched this, this motorcycle as we walked by. I was like, that's yours, isn't it? Cause she had given it such a sort of possessive touch and she said, yeah, it was. And I made her get on there so I could take a picture, but she, which she did. And I was so surprised because she's usually so shy. Like she doesn't like, she doesn't like her picture taken she doesn't like hugs she doesn't like you know it's like great come on here and talk to this person she's like nope you know she was yeah she was certainly like on her a game yesterday yeah i mean but i she immediately inspired uh confidence in in me but even if somebody is incredibly competent and not just competent but excels at their job it's still hard to delegate uh to them how did you learn that you couldn't take it all on yourself and that you had to trust other people to do it well 
it's so like it just kind of happens like it starts to become so so much and like snowball so so much that you know there's this like it's an interesting dynamic of being like oh wow like I really first of all don't have the time to do all of this and so you just have to have somebody else do it and then you spend a little bit of time trying to micromanage that and trying to breathe down their neck and see you know (laughs) do, do all those dumb things that you would try to do until it's just like fruitless to really do that and generally I feel like people do better anyway when you're not breathing down their neck um and then some of it I just really didn't know like I don't you know I never had worked front of the house I never I mean I certainly I think you know if you were to be like I'm gonna need you to wait tables today I think I could figure it out although (laughs) they have a funny story about me trying to host one night which was just like oh no what happened my pay grade well I mean like the first time somebody came in and we didn't have you know I'd sat all the seats and then they're like we have a you know very reasonable request for a party of four and I'm like oh god I don't have any tables like (laughs) let me let me go get an adult really quick like I got it and they were just laughing because I'm like I'm not qualified to do that um but there was a lot there was just a lot that I didn't know that I had to hire people that did know because I just had no no inkling of an idea how to run some portions of and and it's like at this point when I have so many people's jobs that depend on it so many people's money you know I mean things all these things that depend on it you can't just guess you know, well, it like has to be pretty thought out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of that thoughtfulness comes from how you hire. I know that when I walked in there yesterday, first of all, the hostess is, uh, you know, you're 19. My kid. Or, yeah, your kid. <laughs> you're like 19 year old kid who was on it. She was, you know, just, uh, you know, some people have extra light in their eyes. And I walked in and there's that and just immediately felt really, really taken care of. This doesn't happen by accident. This happens by hiring smartly uh, Mm. for both kind of talent and emotion as I've um, come to learn. And you have a a mostly woman staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk about how about how you you hired? Um, Because it you know, you're talking yesterday. it's It's a really kind of drama free. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Drama light. We um you know, it, it was sort of accidental. It, well, it was a, a 100% accidental in the beginning when I hired, um, you know, I knew I wanted, the day that I even knew that I was going to even maybe possibly be opening this place, I drove down and showed the sort of like brand book to Brit and said like, this is where you're gonna, you know, was trying to like <laughs> creep on her in the, ho- you know, the alley of the hotel, you know, be like, come down here and let me show you in the shadows this thing we're gonna be doing. So I already knew I wanted Brit. And then um, in the very beginning, I hired people that I felt like were really, really great for the job. And they all just happened to be women. And they all happened to be women that I had worked with in some capacity previously, had known, had trusted, had just really loved the time that I had spent with them. And so then it became this thing, you know, of course, all of like the press starts picking it up, like all female run, this, that, <laughs> whatever, which was just sort of a happy accident. It, yeah. it wasn't really ever intended to be that way. It was just sort of like, well, it was kind of how it, it panned out. Um, We've had a little bit of shift in management since the very beginning, as places, you know, usually Mm -hmm. do. And so we have a a new general manager. Her name is Dory, and she is just so, like, I mean, so, so, so smart, but also, Mm -hmm. like, just calm and patient and gentle and a very good teacher and a very good educator and, and, you know, has this ability to be, like, kind and patient, but at the same time, like, very, like, strong-willed and sort of tough as nails when the time when when she needs to be Mm -hmm. and I think that that's such a nice balance in the front of the house capacity just because 
there, you know, we're not, we're not super fine dining. So we're not always hiring people that have this super, super high level of knowledge or super high level of, of service knowledge necessarily. And so it's really awesome to have somebody in there that's sort of like a, I don't know, like sometimes a patient kindergarten right. teacher, you know, <laughs> I don't. And then, you know, we have a, our bar manager is um, a girl named Hosanna, who's also just like, you know, has been there since day one and sort of got promoted into that position because she's so just, you can't meet her and not love her. And she's also immensely creative and, and just, um, they all like just are so, their personalities are such that they, like I kind of said about Brit, like it lends itself to people wanting to work well for them and people wanting to love them and everybody, you know, kind of through the trickle down effect, it becomes this like very like loving, caring environment and everybody like likes each other and there's no drama. Like I think I told you yesterday that the two people were like, Oh my God, somebody finally slept together here. Like that's so <laughs> weird. Like who and then now they're like dating and oh, they're like and cute loving, and like happily release. ever after. Yeah. And you're Aww. like, Well, okay, that's you know, not the drama we were looking for necessarily. <laughs> but like, come on guys, like do something do something funny. <laughs> <laughs> like throw throw a fish or something. Seriously. <laughs> anybody. I I love that because you know you think of restaurants as being a hotbed of you know drama and intrigue yeah, and, and no. all this stuff so uh you know it sounds like you've got front and back of the house running really smoothly um I also know that you're in an area where they're probably you probably get a lot of late night rowdiness from the customer sides so let's let's flip that or maybe, do you do you not we did well yes and no like mm-hmm. we get we in the very beginning opened, we were open late night and then sort of determined that that was not the business we were going to do. You know, it was like once people are out and about that late, they're out at those, you know, we're in a bar district. And so they're out sort of at the bars, like taking vodka and pickleback shots and like (laughs) playing skee ball. They're like, they're not in our place eating meatloaf sandwiches. You know, that's not a a party really. And so, um, that sounds like a party to me. (laughs) Me too. Um, So we kind of decided early, early on to nix that idea because it was sort of like, why would we like, let's put our efforts where the the people are, you know, where the business Mm -hmm. is. And so we close at eight on the week, like all the weekdays and the weekends we close at 10. And so Mm -hmm. we get strangely, like there are some people that are just like real hammered by 8 p.m. You know, and you're like, oh, (laughs) that's weird. But um, but generally we don't see a lot of that. We you know, there's a lot of activity that happens out on the street and in the alleyway, like when we're closing down on like a Saturday night, Mm -hmm. you know, but we don't really get the brunt of that the way some of those other businesses around there do. Okay, that's that's good to hear. Um, But I know you've been working in restaurants a a long damn time and you you must have seen um, customers who, even if they're not being rowdy, or difficult might be difficult to please for you know whatever kind of reason how do you deal with a customer who is you know being you know there's there's demanding and then there's obnoxious and then there's abusive uh how do you how do you deal with that um you know, I don't ever have to. Dory does. Okay. So what did you learn you know, from her? Generally, I mean, Dory, like I said, is like the most like patient person in the, in the world. And she is a very much like a kill you with kindness kind of person. Yeah. Like, I'm so sorry that you're not enjoying that. You know, what can be done to, you know, this, mm-hmm. this sort of process of going through. And then when you get to the point where somebody just can't be made happy, like sometimes they can't. Yeah. And if it ever gets to the point of, I mean, there have certainly been, you know, usually heavily intoxicated people right, in that right, building right. that are being 
like you're saying, abusive to staff. And they've, you know, they've been asked in a nice way to leave. You know, it's like yeah. at this at this point, like if there's nothing else we can do to help you or if there's nothing else we can do to make you happy, then probably, you know, the best route would be for you to not let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. I remember um, there's Justin Warner, who is fantastic. He's more sort of on TV and things like that. He was working in in restaurants when I met him and he had gone from like a Danny Meyer um, restaurant where again there's there's so much yes mm-hmm. um, there to opening his own place called Do or Dine in Bed-Stuy and you know, the restaurant started to get popular and there was a couple there, I, I think there was a couple or table who were being super demanding and he uh, sort of took a page from Marker Pierre White's uh, cookbook, where he would they would just unset the table there, but um, he sort of combined the that and uh, like the Danny Myerness of it, and said, you know, he, you know, is there anything else I can do to make you happy? And this, these people just were not ready to be made happy. And he said, well, you know, we're done here. Do not let the check impede your progress. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. So yeah, so they're like, you know, I and, and that, I say good day, sir. Like, and I say like good a, day. Yes. <laughs> well, and he was saying. But at the same time, it was like wonderfully passive aggressive because she, if she had this, it was a woman in particular had uh, who was sort of spearheading the thing, and he realized he sort of he had dealt with enough customers at that point to realize if she he had let her pay, then she would be all over yelping, "Well, I paid this and then whatever." But if she got it for free, what can she sure. say? When sometimes people like. I feel like there are just some people you're never going to make happy. Yeah. It's like they're not happy in their life generally. And the only time that they get to be sort of in charge is when they're out in a position like that yeah. to treat somebody else poorly. And, yeah. you know, and that's disappointing to yeah. see when that happens. Yeah. Um, restaurant workers, I feel like, bear the brunt of a whole lot of, of other people's baggage. emotional baggage. Yes, <laughs> they really do. But your, your place is set up for a fun time. I mean, I went there yesterday and I ate um, amazing fried turkey gizzards. With, it was with comeback sauce. Mm-hmm. And uh, and these glor- what the hell's in those Brussels sprouts? They were- we toss them with apple butter. Okay. That's so it's like apple butter and then we put an egg on on that one. But yeah, it's just lemon zest and apple butter. But apple butter is like one of my like uh, childhood guilty pleasures that like reminds me of my grandmother, you know? So I'm like, which is, you know what would improve this? Let's put (laughs) apple butter. It's like generally works with just about anything. (laughs) I mean, they have that sweetness with the Brussels sprouts was really, really smart because I'm I'm so used to having them with like gochujang or something like that. but it's it was this really great. I mean, I can't say enough about like the harmony of this place because it's it's it feels like such a realized vision because of, you know, the the art that was on the walls, just the general decor of it, um, the music that was playing, which I know is a special uh, playlist for this and all female artists to go with Amy Winehouse. But, but generally reflective, I think of yeah. of kind of what's going on in there. Yeah. Usually, like they did a really nice job. The the gentleman who's the photographer for the exhibit was a friend of hers and um which is how he got all of these amazing photos and he um it was an awesome compliment because he said you know he's like well we really picked this place because it feels like a place she would have really liked to come in and hang out in and i i just thought that was so cool so i think he i think he having seen the space and having you know kind of geared it towards something that we would be playing anyway you know just to have it fit it, fe- it felt organic and then um, everybody who was working there sort of had their own style but then and it was, you know there's a, sort of like this great like rock and roll aesthetic to it but then this incredible comfort in the form of apple butter and <laughs> and uh, and things like that and it just I don't know it, it felt like a 
it hit me in an emotional place, I'm going to say, That's too, awesome. because as a, a recovering Catholic, as I tend to say, it's called a holy roller. Can you talk a little bit about that and any pushback you've gotten on that? Um, we have gotten none, really, except for this one lovely <laughs> handwritten letter. letter. Yeah, from Georgia. The, a lady was very perturbed that we had that we had used that. But, um, you know, a lot of the when we started trying to think, it's a really hard thing to name a restaurant. It's yeah. very, very, very hard. And I sat there and sat there and sat there and sat there and we ended up actually landing on the name for a few reasons. It kind of, you know, I was like, like just stuck and didn't know. And one of my partners, he sat down and he was like, well, I mean, we're looking for something that's like a little bit edgy. We're looking for something mm -hmm. that's a little bit, you know, like, you know, just feels like a little right. He's like, you're basically looking for a roller derby team name, you know? And I was like, Oh, yeah, you know, so he pulls up the national database of derby <laughs> team names and we start going through them and the Holy Rollers actually happened to be an Austin team. Oh, wow. And so it was just really fun because then we started kind of like poking around with it and I was like, ooh, and you can make all these like ridiculous baking puns and you can make, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then my grandmother is a Holy Roller. She grew up Pentecostal, yeah. Arkansas, you know, and so it just sort of fit for a multitude of reasons. And then it was like this, okay, well, let's ask the Roller Derby girls if they care if we use their name. And of course, like they were just like thrilled because now <laughs> they do all of their like stuff there and we do like derby discounts for the girls that are in roller derby which is a really big thing here in town yeah. um and so it's been sort of like an alternate like fun way to be a part of the community also so it was like sort of i don't know it was off a derby team database <laughs> list. but you, I, I saw that there's like restrooms confessionals mm -hmm. in there um uh, did you go back by the restroom i did not it's got this giant it's like this creepy flickering red neon that says confess like it says confessional but then like the end part of it is busted out and so it only blinks like it's broken it blinks confess and we have a teeny tiny miniature model of a confession booth oh in god. there so you can go and people go and man we get some like i mean we get some stuff that's like oh my god i love austin and you're like that's boring but then we get like some really like sometimes you're like wow like somebody's like really like spilling their guts in your in alley <laughs> serious i mean we get i mean nothing quite that bad but like some weird generally pretty sexual things you know right. like there's there's some funny, funny things that go in that box. And for a while, we stopped doing it for a little bit just to like sort of we'll bring it back when it becomes fun again. But right. we um, would choose one a week and make a drink special, like a confession of the week special. And, you know, this one time they pulled one out of there that said, when I was younger, I used to periodically dip my sister's toothbrush in the toilet. <gasps> Sorry, Callie. And it was my sister no. that had written a confession. I was like, what an asshole. I called her. I'm like, are you serious? She's like, uh, yeah. I'm oh, like, my God. Great. I was like, well, I never get sick. So thank you for that, I guess. Whoa, like, <laughs> the immunity thing. Serious. I was like, what a jerk. Um, so there's just some fun... Um, you know, there there's certainly like obviously some religious undertone that goes through the yeah. restaurant, but it's really more when people ask about it. I think that generally we've not really had any pushback on it because we never it's everything that we've ever done that is like affiliated with religion is based upon it's like got the undertones of like sinning, not yeah. not re the religion itself, right. you know, like there's not a whole lot of like super religious iconography in there. There's not a lot, you know, we do have the confession booth, but that's about like confess your sins. And we right. did, used to do for like brunch, this big seven deadly sins where we would do oh, like a like brunch spread based upon each of like the sins, which was really fun. And um, so it's really more about like just sort of like the, 
you know, I don't know, being bad portion of it than <laughs> it is like about the religion itself. That makes sense to me because, mm. you know, again, like Catholicism weighed very, very heavily on the you know first big chunk of my life. So, you know, anything that I can do that I, has more comfort with it, sort of flipping <laughs> it on its, its head, like feels really good to me. Yeah. So, you know, I don't love to ask a whole lot of gendered questions, but I think this is pretty uh, relevant. And I think important for, for people to hear. It can be a lot harder for women to get financing for restaurants. People say, you know, we're the, the female chefs, we're these whatever. Well, I know that there are a lot that can, there can be a lot of struggle with um, people backing women to open restaurants. Mm. Did, had, did you run into any of that? So I guess, do you want to hear the story of how this happened? I because do. the story is really weird. I, I do. And, <laughs> well, so basically like Philip at the time said, Hey, I have this friend that has this space downtown. You have anybody that would want it? He wants out of this lease. And it was a fish taco place. And he's like, you know, they've approached a handful of places around town that already have restaurants wanting to know if they want a second location, this kind of thing, not really having any luck. So, you know, if you have anybody that has an idea and at the time I wasn't working and I thought to myself, like, Oh, I mean, I have an idea. And he's like, well, why don't you put something together? And then literally one day I came up with this, like with some help from a friend of mine came up with basically a brand book out of like, honestly, the idea was like sort of basic, you know, Exlet in LA. Yeah. Like I loved that they did like just this sort of like breakfast sandwich thing and had like a very small, like there were a lot of things about just that concept in general that I really liked. And I said, um, cool. Well, give me, give me a second. And the very next day we put together some like rough financials. And the very next day I went down and met this guy who owned the fish taco place. And he also had his partners. They have a couple of other businesses together and he, and they were essentially going to be the money people, but they had some interest in putting something in that space that was going to be good for, they opened another bar down there, but they're also working on a kind of boutique hotel in that area. And so they were really like had some vested interest in like turning this, um, neighborhood into like, to, to make it a little cooler and not make it be just this like sort of bar district any longer. And I had never met them, never really had never thought of this idea in entirety, you know what I mean? Never had written a menu for it, never. And so I I did in a day and then took it in there and showed it to him and was obviously like so nervous because I had never, I don't even know how to pitch, like how you pitch something to somebody. (laughs) I'd never done that and did. And they said, okay. And I was like, okay. Okay. You're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Okay. Like, what does that mean? Does okay mean like, maybe does okay mean like, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about it later. Does it again? And sure as shit, like they did, and it just like moved forward and we did the fundraising for it. And and I had a lot of help from them, which was really great. Um, I had a lot of help from some other industry people that own other businesses in town. That was like the biggest compliment in the world to have people that have successful businesses be willing to give you money to open one. And, um, and I don't think I really believed that it was going to happen until we like, a couple of months later closed that first business down and tore everything out. And then I was like, Oh, well, here we go. You know, but it was like, it wasn't even a thing. Like it had never like in that one, in one day, even prior to that pitching that I had never thought in my life that it would ever be a thing. So I don't know that I ever, like there wasn't time for difficulty. (laughs) It was just kind of like, Oh my God, here we go. You know, happen and if you're comfortable can you talk about where you were in your life at that time sure um I had just gotten out of a rehab facility I had spent a month there and I mean I think 
you know, I got out of there in like mid-August and this was like the very beginning of September that this mm-hmm. happened. So it had been like a couple weeks of me like, you know, generally having that sort of like internal crisis of like, man, I'd hated my job. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there was a, there were a whole lot of other things that I, you know, it was like, there's no way I'm going to go back to working there because I hated it. And I did, you know, and I was mm-hmm. really trying to make all of these positive changes in my life and, you know, was sort of having this internal struggle of like, what am I going to do? You know, but right. and it hadn't been enough time yet to even have like really started worrying about that. You know, it was right. like just that few weeks of going like, shit, like, okay, well, I'm not going back there. I already know that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew, you know, it was like, I don't want to go. I just really didn't want to work for someone else. But like yeah. I said, I didn't know that I was going to open a restaurant. So in my head, I was like trying to come to terms mm-hmm. with like, okay, well, I'm going to have to. So how, well, how does this look? You know, like, where do I want to go work? Um, and then this happened like out of the complete blue, it was just like, I don't know, like the biggest like shock yeah. of the century. And really like one of the things like when you go through, you know, any sort of like rehab program that they talk about is this like how really great things start happening when you make positive changes in your life or when you decide, you know, to to do better by yourself. And it um, was like probably the biggest like large scale example of how that's like true like I feel like I'm like such a it's like that certainly can't possibly happen for everyone right and so I'm like eternally you gotta rehab here's your restaurant (laughs) yeah no shit like who did like that no it certainly does not happen um so but it was uh you know obviously I think a giant facilitator and how you know I've managed to stay happy and positive and sober and you know all of those good things that come along with it so I know that opening a restaurant, no matter what your particular emotional and mental state, can be one of the biggest, most stressful things a person can do. Um, how did you, so if you're you're newly sort of taking care of yourself in a different kind of way, how did you stay healthy while uh, you know having this tremendous stress and having kind of a new, you know, if you hadn't been out that long, maybe new patterns hadn't formed yet, new habits and things. Mm. How did you manage that, staying well during that? Oh, I mean, it looked different, different days. Like there yeah. were, you know, certainly in the very beginning, I think I've talked about my, um, one of my partners, Brandon, he owns uh, a handful of pizza places in town called Via 313. And he's also happens to be one of my really good friends. And somehow, like right after all of this started happening, and we ended up in Chicago together for Riot Fest, which I don't know if you could guess how shitty it is to go to a music festival near like newly sober. It was like <laughs> that's the a lot. absolute worst. And I remember saying to him like ve- and being very, very serious and being like, you know, I could drink here and nobody would know that mm-hmm. I did. Like I could go home and be fine and be normal and, and nobody would ever know I did it. And he's like, well, they will because I'm going to tell everybody. <gasps> I will literally tell wow. everyone if you do that. And I'm like, shit, but I'm so great. You know, and then, yeah. he, and then he spent the entire weekend with me not drinking and hanging out. And it was like probably one of the nicer things anyone's ever done for me because yeah. it was like, you know, this very mean thing in the moment. But I'm so, I mean, he's probably in that moment, you know, a reason mm-hmm. why I'm still sober. And so I think... You know, in the very beginning, a lot of it, as as shitty as it sounds to say, was based upon sheer vanity, mm-hmm. because I had let you know I had gone and and I told you know everyone knew mm-hmm. you know that I had left to go do that, and so especially because you know I was working at the hotel and it was such a big place and like, you know, there's no way you keep secrets in a place right. like that, and so everybody knew, and I was like, man, there's just no way like I'm gonna have left you know and have a career the way I have it, and like so so many people know me and so many, you know and then I'm gonna come back and start drinking again like there's just no way yeah and so I think that 
like I said, sheer vanity saved my life for a little while. And then it did like, and then it just felt good. It felt, it, it just did. It felt good. It felt, I felt physically really well. I felt like I was making better choices. I felt like I was having a better relationship with my daughter. I felt like I was, you know, working proactively on this business and actually making like headway instead of just like spending my days figuring out like how to kind of get work over with so that I could figure out, you know, how to continue drinking kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. there was just so many good things to say for that. You know, Britt, who, you know, saw me arguably at probably my very, very worst at the hotel had agreed to come work with me again, like by some, you know, major miracle, she, you know, decided to give that a whirl again. And I'm eternally grateful for that, you know? And so there was just a lot of things going on that was like, you know, people ask me all the time, like, do you think you would ever drink again? And I'm like, you know, there's so much good mm-hmm. now that why would I gamble that? Right. Like the, it doesn't make sense. Like that to me in my head doesn't, it doesn't add up. You know, it's like, this isn't worth what all of the rest of this is worth to me any longer. So I, I get um, asked a lot by people th- sort of through the work that I do about, you know, they work with somebody or they work you know, for somebody or they're their boss and they start to realize, you know, that they've, they've maybe got a substance problem, whether Mm -hmm. it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it happens to be. And they don't know how to broach it with them. They want to take care of them. They, they want to do that. How, how can people have that conversation with people and, um, you know, who, who they're worried about, but they're so afraid of maybe setting them off, upsetting them, being wrong about it, being things being awkward. You know, I've I've had this conversation now a couple of times with people and one of one of the things that I try to be really careful of is that I never want somebody to think that I am approaching them with that topic because I'm a sober person, because I'm mm-hmm. a sober stick in the mud, because right. you know, which is <laughs> right. but it, you know, I mean it can yeah. certainly come across that way and especially if somebody does have a problem and they're already a little bit combative you know it tends to be like oh well she just doesn't you know just so we're sick of the mud over there doesn't want to let anybody have any fun kind of thing um and generally from an employer standpoint i always um approach it from a a standpoint of being like this is why you suck in your job right now like mm-hmm. i'm going to tell you right now this a b c d is not working for you like, this is what I'm noticing. These are the things that are not getting done. These are the things that are not, you know, I don't, you know, maybe I do know a lot about their personal life. Maybe I don't. But it's like, these are the things I'm noticing that are kind of falling, you know, that might be causing you to do a shitty job at work, but your shitty job at work isn't working for me, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then, you know, I generally follow it up with, and I'm going to let you know that from my experience, that doesn't get better. Like, unless you decide to make some of these changes for yourself that doesn't if you're thinking that you can continue down this rabbit hole and it will improve I will tell you it will not and then I just you know sort of leave it at that because the other thing about it is that nobody goes and fixes it for like you can't make them do that right you know in no capacity nobody in this entire world has ever been forced into being sober you know so um I had somebody tell me that, you know, that mm-hmm. was like, certainly was the catalyst for me deciding to go into rehab was a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, um, who was also a manager at the hotel with me. Basically, you know, he was super angry with me one day and I was like, what's your fucking deal, man? Like what? And he's like, 
you like you fucking suck like you are a total garbage person and all these girls have come to work for you and they look up to you and they want to learn from you and you're like letting everyone down I mean he was like your daughter will remember this you I mean he was like so I was like mad at him you know I mean since now I've thanked him you know for his candidness because it was like absolutely but it was like absolutely what I needed to hear from somebody that I knew cared about me and knew me really well for him to just say like trash person like get (laughs) get your shit together you know was was so brave of him to do but so awesome you know in the long run for me that is an incredible uh story because I think people live in in fear of just things being awkward and I've realized through you know, talking with so many people in, in restaurants and training as a crisis counselor, like the alternative is just not acceptable. Having somebody die, having somebody, you know, hurt themselves or or whatever. And you, you just have to often have that awkward conversation and, Mm -hmm. and, and say it. And, And you know, and you hope that you can be impactful and you just have to always be aware that you might not be impactful. And that's just, that's just the way of the world, you know, but I think that, it's important to do your due diligence, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it can be done in a way that isn't micromanaging and isn't, right. you know, like, I mean, I don't think it always has to be some massive episode of intervention, you know, certainly, but I think that, you know, the, the other thing with people that suffer from substance abuse mm-hmm. issues is that we're very, very good at believing that we're hiding it well. Yeah. You know, like yeah. same you, with mental health issues. Totally. Like you really think like, man, like nobody knows this shit. Like and you're like <laughs> and and outwardly everyone is like, oh my God, like what is happening? This is a total train wreck, you know? And so it's like almost like I said, out of like like for sheer vanity's purposes, it's yeah. it's good sometimes to be like, I see you, <laughs> you know, like I <laughs> I know what you're doing, you know, so that people don't continue thinking, you know, that's part of it, is that you think forever that you're just getting away with it, kinda. And so it was sort of you know, nice to have that slap in the face of like, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, I am not so sneaky. <laughs> that's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, you know, with, I, I, I don't have that particular thing with substance, but with mental health um, issues, when somebody who knows me really well can be like, you're not doing okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's really, it, and it's really an act of kindness. Um, I have a, a dear friend who we sort of developed this language around, I was just, when I am in a bad state, I just don't get back to people. I don't answer mm-hmm. texts. I don't answer emails, whatever it is. And, you know, and he's been through a fair amount of this, this stuff on, on his end too. And he's, he's sober now. And, um, and he developed a thing. He's like, you know, I'm just, he's like, I know you're at the bottom of the well. And he would text me these things. Like, I'm just yelling down the well to mm-hmm. see if you're still down there. And, you know, I can s- stick a hand down here if it, you know, whenever you want, but otherwise just shining down there to see if you're still down there and just send up a flare when you're ready. And he did a really actually incredibly kind thing too. He said, no need to respond. And that's really yeah generous. Just knowing, even if you're not ready to take up the help from somebody else, like, knowing it's there. Yeah, yeah. And or just feeling that connection with somebody, period, I think is like such a great starting point. Yeah. I mean, somebody saying, like, you know, I, I see you and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't be better for anybody else. Mm-hmm. You can't improve that. Like, all of a sudden, you know, snap out of it, get undepressed or whatever, because it's mm-hmm. somebody else. Um, 
you know, it's, it is hard and it's hard to ask for help too. And, um, I'm going to just, as people who listen to this podcast know, I like to shout at this number, um, for crisis text line at seven, four, one, seven, four, one. If you have a business, put it up on the wall, um, where people, you know, in the kitchen or, or locker room or wherever people happen to be, it's free. It's 24 seven. It's volunteer, um, staffed and it's, they're there to help you. You just, you text if you're in a crisis and it's a, it's a really good quiet thing that people can do. It's awesome. It's yeah, I, I think it's a really nice thing. Um, so you, you seem to be so attuned with your staff, and you know, and you know how to address problems and stuff. Um, what do you do to take care of them? You know, one of the things that was really important to me, just sort of from inception, when we had, like I said, Britt and I had come from, you know, a place where neither one of us were super happy um there was a lot of you know this sort of like feeling of like man i'm working 90 hours a week for people mm-hmm. that don't give a shit at the end of the day right. which i'm not even particularly saying it's just those people i mean i think that can be jobs in general um and i really really didn't want like i didn't want for myself ever to do that again yeah. i wanted to be able to like go to work not have to fret about it go, you know, and have like normal life stuff, be able to hang out with my kid, be able to, you know, whatever, whatever self-care looks like for people, you know, wanted to be able to do those things. And then that moment was like, I have no idea what those things are, but right. you know, I, uh, I, I would like to be able to do them, you know, when the time comes. And I really wanted that for everybody else too. It was really important for me, you know, for people to be able to have relationships, for people to be able to have time with their kids for people to be able like I don't like anybody in there to have to work more than 40 50 hours a week like it's just not that's not good for anyone it's not good for anybody's their own mental health it's not good for their relationships it's not good for their desire to be in that building it's not good for creativity it's not you know it's like when you're just getting beat down every day there's no like why that's not fun you know and and sort of part of what is really cool about holy roller is the fun you know is like sort of that like you know element of being you know of being surprised a little bit or element of like the fun things on the menu or the fun you know just the quirky additions we have here and there and and they can't bring that to the table if they're just there like working their life away you know and I uh so I think one of the biggest things we try to do is we really really try not to um not to, you know, not to overwork everybody and really try to be cognizant of things going on in people's lives and cognizant of things, you know, just how to be helpful to everybody and how to listen and how, you know, and it's like become this sort of like, I don't know, like babysitters club, <laughs> like, right. like all the girls that sit up there and like everybody knows what everybody's been doing and everybody knows like anybody's like boyfriend drama and everybody, you know, and I think Britt told you yesterday, like there's not like we come into that building and are like genuinely really happy to see yeah. the people that are there. You like they go out of town, you miss them, you know, you want mm-hmm. them to come home and you know, it's just, um, I think that just sort of by nature of me kind of trying to improve myself and trying to mm-hmm. have these like qualities in my life that I've sort of mapped it out to where it's that way for that for everyone in that building which is really cool which I think is also sort of why we don't have the drama and why we don't have like we haven't tended to attract people that would bring that with them yeah if that makes sense I yeah I think baking baking it in from the get-go is really Mm -hmm. really important so we we talked um you had said something about um Tuesday sucked can you explain that story Tuesday sucked. Which story? Um, you had been telling me about somebody. You were 
stressing oh, about yeah, the yeah, yeah. Yes, I can. Um, we, you know, in the very beginning, like, like I said, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, like so <laughs> certainly, you know, was like trying every day to like look very much like I knew what I was doing. And, and, you know, obviously in some capacities did, I didn't go in there completely blind, but there were a lot of things that I really didn't. And I, um, you know, there's a lot of stress I feel like that comes along with that when you're, especially when you're working with other people's money, when you're managing an entire staff and you're trying to make sure that their livelihood stays intact and their well-being is, you know, being looked after. And I, um, you know, you get into these like, like it's almost like these routines of trying to be like, okay, well, we aren't busy during this portion of the day. So could we do a happy hour? Could we do this? Could we do some sort of like fun special on Tuesdays? Could we do, you know, and it's just like you sort of like get in this like hamster wheel of like trying Mm -hmm. to win the ultimate like thing that happens is that people just end up coming. Like we, you know, now now we're fine, you know, but like Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't want to have that patience of like, sometimes it takes a while to build business. Sometimes it takes a while, and especially in a neighborhood where we rely very heavily on regulars because we're downtown like amongst people that work down there you know and so it just took some time to cultivate those relationships to make people come back you know like wanting to pay attention to like the little things we could do to make people feel welcome and like they wanted to come back but in the beginning you know I would do this routine like Brandon who I've talked about from via 3 would we'd talk about it and he'd be like man Tuesday sucked you know if we didn't do very many you know very much business and I would say well, you know, I think Tuesday, I don't know, like it seemed like maybe there was like traffic more than usual on the street or like there weren't as many people in town, like come up with whatever dumb ass like excuses that made no sense. Like just really trying to reason it away in my head, but then also trying to make him feel like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You know, like sweep it under the rug and like, let's not, let's hope it gets better kind of thing. And he's like, dude, just say Tuesday sucks. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to like, sometimes Tuesdays suck. Like, it's fine. Like just, and it was such a nice, like. It was just such a nice thing for him to say because he's right. You know what I mean? Like Tuesdays sometimes suck. Like that's cool. Like it doesn't have to be that you held your mouth wrong and or didn't hop up and down one bed or whatever the hell, you know, it's just good. You know, and then it was, but it was also, you know, kind of went hand in hand with that thought of like, don't, don't do some stupid happy hour. Like don't undervalue or like discount yourself based upon trying to drag people in the door. Like they're they're going to come eventually just be patient, like learn to take care of the people that are there now, learn to take care of like, you know, do make all of your systems so, so, so super tight that by the time like business does increase, then you already have these systems in place. It's like sort of like tending, you know, it's like just tending to what you have in hopes that there's more because generally that makes more come like when you take care of what's there. And you know, what's weird is he was right. (laughs) I think I like this guy. Yeah, no, he's incredible. He's been, he's been a really, um, I guess like a, a Zen force, you know, behind, which I I think that what's funny is he would probably never agree. He was, he'd always be like, I think you're going to think I'm a pain in the ass to work with. I'm like, no way. Like he's, (laughs) he's so great. And he really like has helped put into perspective a lot that like, shit's not always the end of the world that like, let's just deal with what we have and, and move on. Tuesday suck. <laughs> Sometimes Tuesday suck. How do you how do you turn your brain off after service? Because I know a lot of people have that, and they you know you, you get revved up from all the adrenaline of of all of that. How do you quiet your brain? You know, generally, like our busiest service is Sunday brunch, mm-hmm. um, and I you know by the time Sunday brunch is over, I'm like kind of done 
it's not even that my brain like I'm done talking like because like, <laughs> we, we call all of our tickets and we do like 500 to 600 covers on a Sunday and wow. so it's just it's a like big space but it's not a creamy yeah we see like 90 people wow um and so it's like me you know listening to myself scream at, you know scream tickets out all day long and it's a uh, I get to the point where I'm just like, I can't like I'm gonna go sit in a hole by myself and be quiet because it's like hurts to talk. Right. But also, and I'm like old, you know, like I feel like there's this like moment where you're like, man, I used to be able to do this like really, really easily. And like now you're just like, everything hurts. My shoulder hurts worse after Sunday is like every, you know, it's just. And then I have, you know, my 10 year old who just, man, they don't ever stop talking at that age, you know? <laughs> and so then I'll have her that evening and it's just like, and here we go. Like, so there's not really that turnoff moment, but it's also delightful, you know, it's to see, it's a different kind of like busy that your brain is in that moment. Do you have a, a physical practice you engage in? I should, but I don't. I know, I do I'm like, I, should, I wish I could be like, man, I do. Yeah, no, I don't. Because I, I, I keep talking to, well, it's, it's a funny thing. I keep talking to chefs who have gotten sober, and but they've they've turned that sort of obsessive thing into uh, like a physical sport or something. Yeah, like Philip. I mean, I, I think you spoke with Philip yesterday, I'm sure, about how he became obsessive about running. Yeah. Um, or I don't know if he spoke about I don't, any of that I don't at all, but, we about that, but he certainly took, Oh, he did. Yeah, actually. Um, his is running for sure. And I think that people do get that way. I think that, um, it's just a way to like channel that energy or it's like, it's mm -hmm. almost like, what's that stupid movie where he's like, what do I do with my hands? Like when he's on camera and he keeps putting his hands up in front of his face, <laughs> it's like sort of one of these like Anchorman. Is Anchorman? I think it's Anchorman. Yeah. But it's just this dumb thing where you're like, okay, now that I don't do that with my life, like yeah. what do I do now? And I think, you know, that's kind of that whole stereotypical, like why people like smoke and drink coffee and all that. Which yeah. Are, I see like know. former smokers. You can always tell that with the hands. Totally. And I mean, and so I think it's just sort of like taking that, like the time that you spent, you know, right. and, and putting it into something else. Um, and I'm not really sure what mine is. I mean, I think probably the restaurant is yeah. what it is. And, and what's, you know, unusual, I think the conversation always, you know, I know with people a lot of times is like, you know, that it's unhealthy to be, you know, constantly working or constantly mm -hmm. this or constantly. And I personally, I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe not everybody might agree, but I feel with Holy Roller, like it's kind of the opposite. Like that's where I go. Like if I'm having a shitty day, mm -hmm. like I always go sit in there because I feel oh, better yeah. being in there and being around them and being like, there's not there. It doesn't stress me out the way. Like I think that some people get stressed being at work. Like, but I think that's, you know, like I've said also because I built it based upon yeah, wanting it to right. be like, be that. And, and so I think having this like thing that I've loved on so much and the staff that I've loved on so much yeah. and just these like and we you know and then I get to come up with all these weird ass ideas and it's like all this <laughs> all this weird shit that was in my brain before that I could never do it's like now we can do it because nobody can tell us we can't you know kind of thing and so it's it's just that's sort of an outlet you know there used to always be like you should take a day off I'm like but I don't want to like I yeah. like what am I gonna do with myself if I don't go up there like go sit at home like that sounds terrible I'd rather go up there and visit with them and I mean there's some good stuff on. on Netflix but yeah but like I don't want to sit I can't sit still yeah. that long you know I understand that so what would you say to Callie of 10 years ago oh geez um I slow down like probably that slow down it's like take your time like not everything has to be right now yeah I mean I think that it's it's interesting learning 
patience Mm -hmm. and we live in an immediate gratification society and I still don't have a lot of it you know Mm -hmm. I try more and more these days to have a whole you know a lot more patience but I think that for me specifically but I think for a lot of young people it's like you don't have to be you don't have to go from point a to point z right now like it can be like waiting is fine take your time do it right do it you know make it nice you know whatever it's just sort of like (laughs) don't you know Slow down. Yeah. Yeah. There, um, we ran a gorgeous, gorgeous story from Ashley Christensen based on a talk that she gave at Southern Foodways Alliance. And she, a lot of the theme of it was redefining what success looks like because she had you know, gone to a pretty dark place because she opened up a, a very successful restaurant and then thought, I have to keep opening them. And to her at that time, multiple places, um, and that's what success looked like. And then she had to have stop and have a hard look at her herself and say, like, what does success mean? And talking about redefining what that means for the industry, does it mean a gazillion um, holy rollers all over the place? Or does it, yeah. what does that mean? To, what does success mean to you? Six, well, you know, if you would have asked me a few years ago what success meant, like I, I think I measured success very much by how, you know, it's like how many publications were you in? How many things did you do? Did you win any awards? Did anything get recognized? And, you know, there was a lot of like um, success to me was measured by external feedback, mm-hmm. you know, by other people noticing um, what was going on. And, you know, and and really wanting to like elevate my career in that way, I think. And success for me today is, you know, are my kids happy? Are they healthy? Are, you know, am I spending time with them? Am I getting to, you know, is everybody that works for me taken care of? Like, are they happy? Is anybody having a bad day? Like, you know, and it's like, if we can come out of, you know, on the other side of that day and say like, man, like we did the absolute best we can do today everybody's good we helped this person they were having a shit day and they feel better now like I got to spend time with my kid like all of those like that to me is success you know it's like maybe there ends up being another thing in the future but you know it's like the health and the well-being of my family be it just my kids or be it you know the restaurant you know my family as a as a whole what that looks like is is really what's ultimately important you know that's a really good really good way to put it really healthy way to put it and is there anything you wish we had talked about mm. I, I steal this from Jonathan Van Ness whose podcast I'm obsessed with and he always says like you know you get to the end of yoga class you wonder like you know should we have done more shoulder stands or, <laughs> or something no I don't I mean I think we touched on everything pretty well so I'm gonna ask you a few questions okay then. okay um this is you know I was in Voca Oprah at this point because I think she sort of talked about the secret which may or may not be bullshit um <laughs> but I believe in saying things out loud so other people can hear you and help you what is the thing that you want for your yourself what is the selfish thing that you want that you can speak aloud <laughs> that someone can help you get um I would like to be in generally better physical health for myself. Like I wish like I could be a fit person, which I'm not, I mean, and that's like, you can look, see me, like I'm a very small, like petite person, but I think generally putting myself in better, you know, having a better diet, having a better, that's been one thing that I've been looking into, like getting somebody like a nutritionist that can mm-hmm. help. Cause there's a lot of times in, you know, my day where it's like, well, I forgot to eat something or I ate like (laughs) shit or I, you know, like I think that having somebody help me put those like 
habits and to better practice would be awesome. I always tell people who sort of want um, something like that or want a therapist or something. One of your regulars is definitely a nutritionist or a mm-hmm. therapist. Or sure. Figure out who that person is and feed them. Sometimes. Yes, exactly. I will trade you for you to make me a meal plan. They're like, yeah. what? Like, can you imagine what that would look like? Oh They're, my God. It's so funny. How many like, gizzards feed you? <laughs> you feed me? The thing is like, I, I actually have a nutritionist because I have a lot of gut issues and she's, she loves food, which is really an amazing thing. Yeah, so, that's cool. Yeah. It, it really helps to have that. But so universe, if you're listening, Yes. Get Callie a wonderful nutritionist. Make, yeah, or... make me not eat like a trash person. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes. Yes, exactly. Um, so I've got uh, five sort of speed round questions. Mm-hmm. What is your comfort food? Ooh, pancakes. Mm, tell me about your pancakes. You have them on the menu. I do, and I eat them every day. Like, in fact, they're like, is something the matter if I don't eat them? They're <laughs> things something that I'm like ill. Um, we do yellow cake batter pancakes, which kind what? of came from. So it's like a hybrid sort of. And. It's certainly more of the, it's like a fluffier pancake, but it's got the flavors of like a yellow box cake mix, which came from, um, I went briefly to college in Fort Worth and there was a little deli that did breakfast and they did yellow cake pan. They would like literally use box mix and make pancakes out of Mm -hmm. it. And I remember like even at like, I guess it was probably 17 or 18, but even then was like, holy shit. Like I've thought about it ever since then and the place I'm sure isn't around anymore, but I, uh. So, I mean, that was like the first thing I'm like, well, we're doing yellow cake pancakes. This is going to be great. You know, and so we do sort of our version of that. And you you can get it with chicken, I believe. Yeah, chicken or soft serve or banana pudding. <gasps> soft pretty, serve. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> I was staring at that yesterday. <laughs> wow. Um, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Ooh, that's a hard one. Can we come back? Can we do it? Yeah. At the end, can I think about it for a minute? Yeah. So what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? Man, nobody ever cooks for me in their home. See, this is why I ask this. No, I know. Nobody ever, when, when they do, it's always like, I'm so sorry that this isn't very, you know, it's probably not as good as you would make it there. And I'm like, stop. Like, I do, you know, like I do, like I said, I eat trash. Like, no, I'm like, um, the last meal that somebody cooked in their home. Um, I, let's I went over just recently to a friend of mine, his family's house for a party and they were doing like almost sort of a do it yourself pizza deal, oh. you know, where they like did the doughs and it was like super cute because all the kids would like get to do them. And my friend made a calzone and I ate the calzone. So I'll count that as the last meal that <laughs> was cooked in somebody's home for me. That's really <laughs> lovely. Have you remembered what the emotional meal was? <laughs> Oh, um, it could be good or bad emotion. It could be just a feeling, a memory. Uh. I think the last emotional meal I had was sitting at Style Switch Barbecue here in town, which somehow I feel like a lot of my emotional meals end up happening <laughs> there. And that's probably because I eat there an embarrassing amount, but also just because <laughs> it's like that place for me, like how, how you've talked about and how other people talk about, like how it just feels good when you go mm-hmm. on Holy Roller Style Switch feels good to me. Like I never go in there and, and have a a sort of like meh time. Like I always right. go in there and really love everything about being in there and generally end up having lots of hard conversations or easy conversations and things like that in that building. And the, so I would think a couple of weeks ago at Style Switch. Hmm, I like that. Um, I need to seek that out while I'm in town. It's cool. It's a, it's super, it's real cute. Um, there's another one that this isn't asking the, the universe just in case this person is, is listening. What living musician would you want to cook for and what would you make for them? Oh man, we, 
have been dying. And every time, like, any of the festivals come anywhere near an Iggy Pop is... <gasps> Is and he, like and he was gonna come to town. Like there was yeah. a music festival that he was coming to town for, and it was a festival that a friend of mine was the organizer for. And I'm like, oh my god, please make this happen. Just even I'll come there and make something. <laughs> but it would be really great if he would come in here because we have like the big Iggy Pop and all of that. Um, and I have not a clue what I would make for him honestly because his eating habits, from what I know at this moment, are super super health restrictive and and crazy. So I don't. I would make I would make Iggy Pop anything he wanted. <laughs> Dear Iggy Pop, yes, Callie wants in. to cook for you. <laughs> do you have five uninterrupted moments for self care? What do you do? Hmm. Uninterrupted moments. Does that mean minutes? Mi- oh, sorry, five minutes. I should have said minutes. No, no, no. Five That's fine. Minutes. I was like moments. How does this no, five, five um, minutes. Uninter- uninterrupted minutes. Um. You know, what I generally do is I sit, if I'm going to sit and be quiet, is I get on Pinterest, which is so silly, but I have like all these boards where I'm like planning next projects, you know, and I'm like a very visual person. And it's like something I never, like, I like to go down the rabbit hole of being like, let me look at this floor tile. Like, that looks great. Or let me look at this, you know, like just generally, like I tend to sit there and like uh, daydream about things, things to come. (laughs) I cannot wait to see what comes next for you. (laughs) Me neither. It'll be a surprise for us both. Thank you so much to our guest today, Mm -hmm. Kelly Spear. And you can find her various socials at Kelly Spear and Holy Roller ATX. And you need to come to Austin. Yes, please. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. It's such a, such a joy. And you're going to be able to find links to everything in the episode description. Um, thank you to our producers, Jennifer Martnick, Alicia Cabral, and Amy Frank. Thank you to Douglas Wagner for a delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, rate, ev- review, or rate us. And if there's something you'd like us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear from, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at Kitten with a Whip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes at foodandwine.com and on Food and Wine's YouTube page. Thanks for listening and take good care of yourself till next time. <laughs>